0: Let's pray together. Oh Lord, you have taught us that without love, our deeds are worth nothing. Send your Holy Spirit and pour into our hearts that most excellent gift of charity, the true bond of peace and of all virtues without which whoever lives is counted dead before you. Grant this for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Have a seat. Well, um, it's wonderful to see you on my last Sunday here. And um, uh, the, the passage appointed for today skips over the passage we've just read, but I thought, heck, it's my last week. I could <laughs> Don't tell the bishop. A- a- anyway, um, I thought it was so appropriate for our life together. And that collect, you know, I usually pray extemporaneously at the beginning of a sermon, but that collect is so appropriate to what we're about to read about God's love bringing us to life. Without that love we've been given, we are really dead. So... You'll remember last week, those of you who were here, that we talked about lost things, right? Jesus had told two parables about lost things, about a lost sheep and about a lost coin. And it was a very interesting emphasis. Jesus was pushing us to realize that persistence and work is involved in finding lost things, lost ones. And we notice that the found one did nothing to, um, to be found, nothing. It was all the pursuit of the finder that did the finding. All the work was done by the searcher. And these were nice stories with a point, right? I hope you remember it. Um, but now, as is always his way, Jesus pushes a little deeper, pointing us, you know, getting in there just in case you missed it here we go. The same scene as last week, same dinner table conversation, same characters, right? The tax collectors, um, the sinners who are, you know, pushing close to Jesus and the grumbling Pharisees and scribes who sure known better, but they love to grumble against Jesus. And of course they're the townspeople because in that culture, you know, you don't have a private dinner. You might have an intimate dinner, but then all around you are the townspeople watching, listening, participating, getting the dregs, the leftovers. So there were always leftovers. In any case, let's look then at what he says next. A familiar story. You've heard it. you probably heard a dozen sermons on it already. Um, but as I said, I thought it's my last Sunday. Let's give it a try. And, and what I'd like to do, it's a little artificial, but I'd like to talk about each character and rather than scene by scene, let's go character by character. And those of you who then have envisioned that particular character can be there with me. So first, character one, the younger son. Not too many of you raised your hands for that one, but in any case, for all of us, the younger son goes to his father and says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And not many days later, we're told, he gathered all he had, and took a journey into a far country. Now, you probably already know this, but let me remind you, in that culture, to ask your father for an inheritance is to say, why don't you die, dad? You know, it's disgraceful, it's it's unthinkable. And he took all he had and went to a far country, well, that means not only did he ask for his portion of the property, this was land, but it means he sold it, so that he would have means to take his journey far away. This is also unthinkable, because remember, land, people lived on that land. People farmed that land, so he's depriving people of their 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 labor, you know, people of their work. It, it isn't just a simple, I want your share, you know, like, uh, and it's hard for us in our culture, we value entrepreneurship and independence, and so. You know, he might just be saying, hey, I want to start a business. Give me my share so I can do this, and we'll all be beneficiaries. Uh-uh, that's not what's going on here. And the, he could only sell that property with the father's agreement. So the father is involved in this. The father has to hear his son say, I want you dead. And, um, and he has to okay the agreement to, to divide the property, and he does. So of course this is all public. The whole town knows this. Nothing like that in a small town would go unnoticed. It would leave not just the father in disgrace but the whole town in disgrace at this dishonorable action, unimaginable. The whole town would be outraged and even if his father didn't do one of those you're dead to me ceremonies, the town might say, okay, well you didn't do it but we're gonna do it, he's done. And that's why he took off. Like, there's no way he could stay in the town, having done this disgraceful act. Uh, You know, even if his father wouldn't cut him off, that town was gonna, he was done. He was done, so off he goes to a far country. Ever ask why? Do you ever ask why? Why Why would he do that? I mean, what do you think might be going on in that family that this was to him the only solution, because it had to be something like that, or he wouldn't have done it. Like You wouldn't risk all this, unless there was uh, a pretty strong reason. Uh, why, what made him want to leave the security and safety of his home? I think it's you know, hard for us to imagine, because we'd think, well, of course he wants to leave home. But what was going on inside that younger son? Uh, he took a journey, we're told, to a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. He spends his inheritance, you know, like a lottery winner, right? We've heard all those studies about lottery winners who we think, oh my gosh, I wish that would happen to me, I'd be set for life, but we've heard the studies that show like not very much, you can't imagine spending that amount of money, but somehow lottery winners spend it fast and it's gone. I, it seems unbelievable that son could spend this amount of money, but he does. And note here, though, it's extravagant living. There's no sense that there's immoral, I mean, other than he left his father. There's no immorality involved here. It's extravagance. He just spend it. Uh, and now, in our culture, if things got tough, you know, you run out of money, what do you do? You go home. But not in that culture. He'd already cut that option off. That option has died. Much too shameful to come. It might even be dangerous. As I said, it might even be dangerous that the town would be ready for him. You know, We don't know what might happen. So since he couldn't go home, he associates himself with someone in the city who might be a wealthy person in the city who could help him out. That was social welfare in those days, right? The wealthy people had, we might call them hangers on, right, and they give them jobs, they don't really need someone to do those jobs, but they give them jobs to keep them busy and keep them fed. And so he goes to a heathen, right, we're in a far country, and the wealthy man thinks, I'll give him a job, I'll get rid of him this way, I'll give him a job, there's no way he'll take this job, remember he's a Jew, I'll give him a job herding pigs, right? Horrifying, you, you know, just don't eat pig, right? And uh, so herding pigs, I'll give him, I'll offer him this job and I'll get rid of him. But that's how desperate the younger son is. He's desperate, he take, he's takes the job, not only that, but he's hungry and he's tempted to eat the carapods, Like he wishes he could, his stomach wouldn't handle it of course. But that's how desperate he is. It's this picture of degradation, right? I'm dead, he's dead. You know, humiliation, degradation, hunger, and death is on the doorstep. He gave up living with his father and his brother for this, for this. So he gets a clever idea. I know what I'll do. He came to himself. Now, that does not mean he repented, okay? He he came to himself. He thought to himself, okay, I got an idea here. I'll figure out what to do. He's still thinking about number one. Here's a better solution than feeding pigs. I'll go back to my father. I'll say I'm, I'm not worthy at this point to be treated as your son. Form me as one of your hired craftsmen. Form me is the verb there. Form, fashion. Fashion me as one of your hired hands, it says, but it really means craftsmen. The hired hands were the specialists in that day. So, you know, the people who made stuff, you know, they weren't the farmers, the property owners, but they were those, you know, craftsmen. So what he's basically saying is, you know, sign me up for an apprenticeship somewhere, right? At least I'll be able to make some money and... You know, maybe I'll even be able to pay it back right, not right, you know, nice try. Um, asks his father to, now, his father wouldn't probably receive him into his household, but he could make a deal with another landowner to hire on this guy as an apprentice. And sooner or later, maybe he'd earn some money. Now, this clever plan would require a little negotiating, a little smooth-talking, I mean, he's still a schemer, this younger son. And notice he says, I am no longer worthy of being called your son. I always have heard that as like, oh, well, that's good. He's recognized. No, no. It could also be, I am not now worthy. Can you hear that? I am no longer. I'm not at the moment worthy of being called your son. Like the door is still open Um, at the moment. maybe, Maybe some point I'll be worthy again, but not now. I've been reading Pride and Prejudice. Any of you are Pride and Prejudice fans? So like, uh, like this is Wickham, if you know, right? This, this uh, army officer who like everyone thinks is wonderful and it turns out he's a scoundrel. Well, I kept thinking about this, this way, and he's always in debt and other people are saving him. And uh, this, this is the younger son, right? Got it? Character two, the older son. A of you raised your hands. So the older son comes in from the field. Now, of course he's coming in from the field because the party has started. And there's loud music and the drum beat and there's dancing and shouting. And it's, and it's a Middle Eastern village. So it would echo on the, you know, the narrow streets. And you couldn't miss it. You couldn't miss it. Somehow the elder son did miss it for quite a while. He didn't really know. He wasn't really in touch with what's going on. That in itself is unusual, but he comes in, and around the party, outside the party, are some young boys playing around. It says servant, same word as for boy, but the servant probably would have answered differently. So probably a young boy, he says, hey, hey kid, what's going?" he doesn't go in to investigate himself, but hey kid, what's going on? Can you tell me what's going on? So the young boy reports, as young boys do. Your brother has come. Your father's killed the fatted calf. And he's received him with peace. His father has been involved in reconciliation. His father has received him in, think of this, shalom. Now, our word peace is a little weak, but he received him with shalom, that biblical word that means uh, well-being. All things are right, right right-wised, right? Sometimes the same word, saving. Your brother has been received with peace. Now, at this point, there's a clear cultural expectation of what the older son should do. At a party given by his father, he's meant to be the maitre d', right? The, the or not the maitre d', the MC, the master of ceremonies, right? So he's meant to be the host. The father is, you know, the boss guy, but he's the host. And so he's meant to rush in, greet all the guests, excuse himself, change his clothes to more appropriate attire, and come back and take his place as the host of the party. But the older son is furious, and he refuses. No way am I going into that house. No way. He won't even enter the house He forces his father to come out to him. It's scandalous behavior. I don't think we can get our heads around how scandalous this is on the part of the older son. Such behavior normally would mean that the father would get him dragged by servants and locked up somewhere, right? It's it's scandalous. And listen to the older son's complaint, will you? First, he doesn't call him by anything. You don't do that. He doesn't say, Father. He doesn't say anything. He starts right off. All these years I've been working as a slave for you. What? What? Whose property is this? This is the older son. He's working for his father, but who's the beneficiary of anything he does? All these years he's been working as a slave, but what, he's working for his own good. And I've never disobeyed you, he says, what? Look what he's doing right now. Okay, maybe he's never disobeyed, but look what he's doing, shaming his father like this, dishonoring him. I've never disobeyed you? Are you kidding me? So shaming. And you've never even given me a goat. Okay, goat smaller than a calf, meaning a small party rather than a big fracas party. Never even given me a goat. Oh yeah, so he wants to dispose of his father's property too, right? He also wants his father dead? To eat with my friends, not with his father. Again, dishonoring, wishing his father were dead. And this son of yours, maybe we recognize that tone of voice and that form of address, this son of yours, he doesn't say, and my brother, this son of yours, again, blaming his father, you can see him pointing his finger even, who has devoured your living with prostitutes. Oh, really? There's no hint that that's where the money went. This is all conjecture and projection on the part of the older son. And remember, the the brother had accepted his share of the inheritance when the inheritance was divided. Each son got their share. So the older son is, there's no hint. And And you have killed the fatted calf for him. But actually, this party, the party isn't for the son. The party's for the father who's brought shalom back to his household. The the party is for the father's joy in his son's return. For, For example, think last week, when we talked about the lost sheep, remember? The shepherd brings the sheep back and throws a party. The party isn't for the sheep. Right, the party's for the shepherd who's back, safe and sound with the sheep. Or think about the woman looking for the lost coin, and when she finds it, she throws a party. The party isn't for the coin. How absurd, the party's for the woman. We're rejoicing with her. And similarly, this party with the fatted calf and music and dancing, it's not for the sun. It's for the father who has made peace with his son, who's gotten the desire of his heart. That's what the party is for. And the older son wants nothing to do with it, nothing. He wants to break apart the rediscovery, rediscovered shalom between father and younger son. Why, why do you think Why do you think the older son is like this? Why, when he'd been given everything, did he act like this toward his father? Did you ever stop to think about it? Why would he do this? So character number three, sort of the key, the father. Think about the father. How many of you were thinking about the father as we read? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, think about it. He's been humiliated. He's been scorned and disgraced by both of his sons. And remember, all these interactions are public. Right? It's not in some little locked study somewhere with lots of noise proofing, you know, uh, preventing anyone from hearing the interactions. No, this is out in the open. Everybody's watching, everybody's hearing, and it's a small town, so even if you're not there, you probably know five minutes from now all that's happened, right? And Notice, in the face of that humiliation, in the face of that humiliation toward both sons, he demonstrates costly, sacrificial, humiliating, shocking love. And everybody watches him do it. Whether they think it's a good idea or not, they watch him love so extravagantly to the younger son. He runs and kisses him in public. Now this is scandalous behavior. I I just wanna say, noble men don't run in the Middle East, now or then. They don't, and they don't want to show, partly they're wearing long robes, they don't wanna show any leg. Uh, they don't run. You can tell how honorable someone is, how noble, by how slowly they walk. They don't. And he orders immediately a huge banquet. I said this earlier. A fatted calf, that means at least 200 people. You know, it's huge. And then, what does he do? He orders a robe to be put on him, a ring to be given to him, sandals on his feet. Can you imagine what the younger son looked like or smelled like when he came home after on a long journey after feeding pigs and he covers him with his best robe puts his signet ring on puts sandals on his bare feet he's really what he's doing running out at a distance which is a form of honor too you can tell how honored a person is by how far out you go to meet them as they come into the village What he's doing is running the gauntlet, actually, protecting his son from the violence of the town that is sure to attack him. And it wouldn't just be verbal. They can't attack the son without attacking the father. And when he puts his robe on, they're forced to look at the son through the father's robe, right? The father has said, this is my son. My, not my son, my son. And uh, the townspeople are forced to honor the son because of the father. And then they put the signet ring, the symptom, the signal of trust. So honor, trust, and self-respect. He has sandals on now. So can you imagine how the younger son must have felt in the face of the father's love? What would it have felt like, do you think, to go home ready with your scheme and have yourself clothed with honor? To the older son, the father shows the same scandalous, humiliating, extravagant, costly love. He goes out to him. He, he shouldn't have to do that. You know, his expected behavior, as I said, would be to lock him up. He begs him to come in and join the party. He listens to the furious public humili- humil- humiliation of himself by his son in public. He hears his son his beloved one saying all these things to him. And he responds in love. Listen again to what he says. All that I have is yours. Your brother was dead. He begs him to be a son, not a servant. He begs him to join the celebration of his brother's new life ever stop to think about why? Why would the father do that with these two disastrous sons, shameful sons? Why? Why? And did you notice one last thing? Did you notice we aren't told how the story ends? The story just stops. There's no like, we used to call it on TV shows, no little ending, right? No commercial break and then we come back to see what happens. No, the story just stops. We don't know how the older brother will respond to the father's pleas. But the father's plea, the father's loving, longing plea is out there, hanging waiting, waiting for a response. So w- why did I tell you all these interesting details? Was it just so I could delight you the way I get delighted about how much is in this familiar story? Well, I mean, that is part of it. <clears throat> Wiss, yesterday at the men's breakfast, my husband, Wiss, said, You're fer- she's ferocious when she goes after a text. No, I, I, I kind of am. I love digging it out, I love sharing it with you. But in this case, I think it's because these details emphasize something we overlook, it just goes past us. I know it does, me, as I live these passages day by day, like, do we stop and think about the costliness, the humiliation, the, the, the lavish character, the sacrificial character of the Father's love? who turns his back on all cultural expectations, who's willing to do anything to restore his sons, to honor and love them, no matter what anybody else thinks, to bring shalom to the family. And he doesn't care if it looks weak or shameful. He's gonna do it anyway. It's worth it to him. God loves his children. He loves those of us who squander our gifts, who waste them thoughtlessly, self-centeredly, with no thought about how it affects others or affects God, the giver. He loves us. And he loves those of us who serve him as if we are slaves, working so hard like drones, instead of his beloved ones. He loves us. He's willing even eager to squander his glory on us, who are so often oblivious to the cost of it. His love for us is painful, costly, lavish, humiliating, sacrifice, I know there have got to be more adverbs, you good grammar people, you could add the adverbs, no matter how long the list is, it should be longer. That's how much we're loved. And he longs for us to join the family, right? And welcome those who are not like us. That's a part of it, to celebrate their inclusion. For younger sons to have compassionate compassion for the older sons, and older sons to have compassion for the younger sons, to have delighted love for one another, even if we feel like we've been ripped off by the other. This is my last Sunday with you as your priest in charge. And this is my prayer for you, my dear brothers and sisters, who become even more dear in my time here. That you would once again, afresh, anew, receive this extravagant love of God yourselves, individually and together. That you would give it away just as extravagantly as he does to one another, even across disagreements, but also to those outsiders who depend on you if they're going to discover God's extravagant love. That's my prayer for you. I know it's God's prayer for us. Let's pray together. God and Father, extravagant lover, Open our hearts more fully to you. Help us to let go of the things that turn our back on that love. And help us to open our hands and offer it to others. In Christ's name, amen. Amen.